Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all here. We're in John's Gospel, chapter 17. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read the chapter. And as I go through this chapter, if there are things that stand out to you, things that maybe touch you and minister to you in some way, or they strike you, you, you see something or hear something in that verse that really sparks some kind of thought or even a question, because there might be some things in this passage that spark questions. If it sparks a question, write it down. If it sparks a thought, write it down. And then as we go through it, I want to you know, try and answer those questions and look at those things that have uh, sparked the thoughts. So let's begin reading John 17, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And Father, we pray that as we talk about these words, that you would touch our lives through them, Father, that you would use them to develop our relationship with you, to cause growth. And Father, might we be able to connect to the emotion of this passage. Might we be able to connect to the truths that are in here. And Father, again, might you through them impact our lives, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we go through this prayer, again, quick review. We know that Jesus is heading to the cross. We know that that is right around the corner. And keeping that in mind, as John is writing this, he's writing it again, looking back past the resurrection, past the cross, to this moment and this prayer. Have you ever wondered how John knew Jesus prayed this? Anyone ever wondered? You know, because usually when you pray, do you just, you know, I'm just going to start praying, you know, out in front of you. I mean, and so I've always wondered, how did John know? But Jesus most likely did pray in front of them. And that no doubt helped them to understand a little bit more of what was going on. I've shared this before that I probably learn more about my wife through her praying than I do in a lot of conversation. In the time of prayer, I actually hear what's taking place deeper within her. You know, her soul is speaking out to God, and so I get a little bit deeper insight into the things that really matter to her when she prays. And I think the same thing is true here. As Jesus is praying, John, no doubt, was captured by the things that he was hearing and hearing this dynamic relationship that he had with God. Remember that they would say, no one ever spoke as this man. I bet they said that about him in his prayer too. No one ever prayed like this man. And so as Jesus is praying, it was enough to stick into John's mind these things. As we're going through again, when I come up to a passage that has something in it that stands out to you, please let me know if I just keep going over, raise your hand or something so I can stop and we can touch on that passage. It starts off that after Jesus had said this again, referring to the passages before, it says he looked toward heaven and prayed. Why did he look toward heaven? Does God live up there and not down here? Why does he look toward heaven? 
What's that? Above the distraction. Yeah, kind of, I'm trying to look and get my mind around God. Have you ever been out maybe in the mountains or someplace at night and you see the stars when they're just like a ton of them? You know, it's hard for us here because we've got all the lights and you say, oh, look, it's a pretty night and there's 10 stars, you know. But if you're out in the desert somewhere, I remember one time climbing Mount Whitney and we had to make this camp before we made the final trek up and we camped out and then, you know, in the middle of the night I had to go to the restroom and so I got out of the tent and I walked outside and I remember looking up and being frightened by how many stars there were. I mean, literally, I was like, oh my gosh, I felt very small, I felt overwhelmed this was so big. I'd never seen so many stars in my life, and it was pretty overwhelming. And I wonder if Jesus looked up again out in the night sky without the lighting and problems that we have, and it just gives that reminder of who he is communicating to, a God who is vast, his Father who has created all that he sees, and it helps put his mind into that place as he's talking to His father, he understands who his father is and what his father has already done. And I think it would be good for us to stop and to in some way also look to heaven and recognize the majesty of God, the one we are talking to, so that we don't feel like, well, you know, I've got a flat tire. I don't know if God can take care of this for me. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, no, look who you're talking to. He can... He can take care of that and a lot more. And so he looks towards the heaven as he prays. And then he says, Father, the hour has come. And we've talked about the hour has come being the cross. The hour has come and it's the cross, but it's also all that the cross represents. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. What does the word glorify mean? It means to properly just ascribe weight and recognizing the real substance. It's kind of a a term that's used for weighing. It's wanting to know the value of something, how much it is worth. And so as he says, glorify your son so that your son might glorify you. It's give value to your son so that your son can give value to you. And that's an interesting thought. When he's asking him to glorify him, give value to to what? How is he going to glorify his son? What way is he going to give weight to him or or that kind of idea of value? What do you think he, he might be referring to when he says glorify your son? And this whole idea of the hour has come, being the cross. How would the cross be an opportunity for God to give value to Jesus? To show his suffering. To show his suffering? And how does that give value to him? Showing his suffering? Not many of us could do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Giving worth to the cross is... I believe connected to God accepting what Jesus did on behalf of all of us. 
In other words, the value of what he did was enough. Glorify me, give value to what I do, so that the death that I give on the cross will be enough in turn to bring glory to you. And and that's why the cross becomes so much of a hinge point in the ministry of Jesus, because this is God giving value to the sacrifice, because this sacrifice is then going to enable God to recognize on behalf of the sacrifice all of us. That's what buys us back because of the value of the sacrifice. And so he gives Jesus glory, value on the cross because of who Jesus was and the cross is enough to pay the price for all of us. See how glorifying him, glorify me, give this value so that in turn I can glorify you. And I think it's interesting that he says he will glorify him and he'll value him because of who God really is, holy and being able to bring now people to him. And then he goes on in verse two, he says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give them eternal life to all those you have given him. And again, the idea of eternal life is not a duration of life, but a quality. More specifically, he's talking about that you might give them your life, the life of God. And it's really important that we have this in mind when we see the phrase eternal life, that we don't think of longevity, but we think of a different type of life. Because what he's saying here is that you might give him the life that is yours. And that's going to make a whole lot more sense as we start saying that you might be in them and them in you as I am in you and they would be in me. All those things are going together that they might have your life in them. So give them eternal life, your life, all those that you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. See, this is what eternal life is. It's knowing you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave for me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Any things in this paragraph that stood out to you as we read it the first time or that you have questions about? No questions? Let me ask some. Okay. He he says there in verse 2, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Anyone wonder about that? Does he give eternal life to those who God gives him? What does that mean? You guys are okay with that? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it means that the Spirit of God moves our hearts to respond to the appeal of Jesus. And so the work begins with God. God is the one who has revealed himself. And what we need to do is respond to his appeal. And so the ones who God gives to Jesus are the ones who 
God has prompted and who have responded to that appeal to then look towards God. So God is the one who initiates and we are the ones who respond. And so the ones who the Father has given to him are the ones who God has initiated and called out and then we respond. Those are the ones who we give, who we've been given to. Does that make sense? You got more questions? Yes. Well, I think that's where we're we're trying to get to understand here is, you know, how can we be given to Jesus? The question then comes in our minds, well, are there some who aren't given? You know, did someone not get given to God? You know, are there only certain people that were given? Because he says in verse 6 also, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. So God gave them, but Jesus revealed them. And so there is a dynamic that's taking place where God is the one who is prompting the hearts, but Jesus is the one who is revealing more clearly that prompting or who God is. All of us have an opportunity to respond that God has so loved the world that he gave his son that it is, you know, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. All all these kinds of thoughts are God is reaching out to everyone, but not everyone is responding. So as God reaches out to me and I, I respond to that, then God is able to then give me to, in a sense, the work that Jesus has done and is doing. Because now the work of Jesus takes over where my shortcoming is. I've responded to the call of God. Jesus has now taken me from there and made it so that I can access God. But the work began with God and his spirit. Jesus was in one place at one time. Jesus wasn't all throughout history. He was born. Incarnation is his time. And so there is a limited space in which Jesus is physically operating in. But God has been speaking and working before Jesus was born, after Jesus is born and died and, and crucified and resurrected, God is still working through his spirit, and now the work of Jesus takes over there. So let me try and, and say from my own perspective, I, I'm walking along my life and I'm just carrying on, and God ministers to my heart just who he is, the need for God in my life. And so I say, man, I really need God in my life. And then I go to church and I hear about Jesus and I say, wow, I want Jesus. God says, here, I've given him to you. In other words, I've called him and now he's in your care. And now my faith in Jesus and what he's done carries me from where I'm at into the presence of God. Okay, so God initiates, I respond, and now God gives me into the care of the work of Jesus. Does that make any sense? (laughs) Because that's about as clear as I can get it. Here's the problem that we have. 
when we hear something that God gave me, we automatically think, well, there are some that God didn't give. At least that's kind of where our minds go. Well, are there some that God didn't give? God didn't give me that person. He only gave me this person. He didn't give me, you know, he gave Jesus Nicodemus, but he didn't give Jesus Caiaphas, the high priest. But then when we look at the story, well, Nicodemus sought out Jesus Caiaphas, sought out his power. Okay, so Nicodemus responded to the grace of God, and so now he has been given to Jesus. If anyone else has any thoughts on it, I'm open to it, but that's about that's about all I can get. Yeah, I mean, in him is life, and so we come to him to life, which is what he talks about of the eternal life. Um, some of them did. Nicodemus. So some of them did. And that's the whole idea. Why did some and why didn't the others? Well, because some responded to who Jesus was. But some didn't. And so from God's perspective, they saw, heard something. They responded in a way that was positive. That was the work of God in their lives. And so God says, here, I give this one to you. And Jesus, your sacrifice is now going to take this one. And it will cover that person because they've responded. You know, it's interesting. Verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus says that he's brought glory to God by finishing the work that God has given him to do. By going to the cross, Jesus showed that there was nothing that God's love was not prepared to do for us, to suffer for for us on our behalf. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to prove who you are. By finishing the work you gave me to do, what was the work? It was to go to the cross so that there really is no limit to how much you love. And so Jesus is glorifying God by doing what God has asked him to do. And what God has asked him to do is demonstrate his love by going to the cross. And so we see in this whole, you know, story here, or this whole prayer that Jesus is praying, that it is Jesus responding to what God has asked him to do, and what God has asked him to do is to demonstrate how much he loves us. And so now Jesus demonstrates how much God loves us, and all those who respond to that love that God has initiated by sending his son, now they've been given to Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is doing what God has asked him to do, and all those who turn to him have been given into his care. And he glorifies him by doing that which God has given him to do. It makes me wonder, how do we glorify God? Is it by doing what he asks us to do? How do we show the value of who God is except for by doing and fulfilling what he has for each one of us to do? Because in a very interesting way, Jesus is going to put us in his shoes throughout this entire passage. Wow, is that right? 
look what time it is. Okay, we're going to go on because otherwise we're going to run out of time here. Um, Verse 6, we might touch on some of these things again. I have revealed to you, to those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you gave, have given me, for they are yours. So are, they, are we his or are we Jesus's? See, are you guys saying, you gave them to me and so they're yours? Where does it start? Who started this? Who initiated? Well, God gave them to Jesus. So they belong to you. So he says... Where am I? Verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. That's interesting. And glory has come to me through them. What? How did we get thrown into the mix? Glory has come to me. Remember the word glory, what it means, value, has come to me through them. What do you think that means? How do we give value to Jesus? By living in a way that will honor him. Okay. By acting like him. Okay. You know, a patient who has been cured brings honor to the doctor. Right? Someone who's been treated and all of a sudden, yeah, they were had an incredible, you know, brain tumor and they were destined to die. But the doctor, the surgeon went in there and removed the tumor and they live. That surviving patient brings honor to the surgeon because of his skilled work. Okay, the scholar who is taught, you know, someone brings honor, is given honor when that student lives in a way reflects the things that they've been taught. Um, the athlete who, you know, wins the gold medal brings honor to his trainer because he followed through with the things that he was taught. And so he earns the medal, and that medal brings honor to the one who trained him because it was that training that enabled him to do those things. And the men whom Jesus has redeemed brings honor to him. The person who was lost and wicked and made whole and now does good brings honor to Jesus. Okay, and so we glorify him by living in a way that shows we've been changed by him. And so now we are that crowning glory. Our lives are the fruit, if you will, of what Jesus has done. It is the evidence of God at work in us. You know, sometimes there will be times where I am more in awe, not because of the good things that I do, 
actually I'm never in awe of the good things I do, but there are times when I am aware of what I used to do and that my mind didn't go there anymore. There are times where it's like, wow, I, I used to think this, but I didn't. And I start realizing something actually is changing or that I actually want to do what is right. I want to do what is good. I, I don't want to give in to this you know, temptation. I don't want to repay evil for evil. I, I don't want to lash out against those who have hurt me. And I start thinking, what, well, what's going on? Because normally I would want to. But what's happening is the change of God is taking place in me. And when I do act in the way accordingly, then God is glorified in me. And it's interesting because some people are like, oh, don't, you know, glory belongs to God. Don't glory in God. Well, we give glory to God by living the way we're supposed to. In verse 11, he says, I remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Any questions on, on this portion here? What does he mean by protect them by the power of your name? You know, I, I look back, especially from where John is, having seen his fellow brothers and sisters actually die for their faith, and looking back, and he, now he says, protect those who by the power of your name, we, we see that protection doesn't necessarily mean keep them from death or harm because some of them died and harm came to them. And so protection must mean something else and it has to do with protect them by the power of your name. What is the power of God's name? What does he mean by God's name? When he says in your name or the power of your name has to do with God's character, who he is. A name isn't just, you know, something that people recite. God's name means more than just Yahweh. It has to do with his character. In Psalm 9, verse 10, it says, those who know your name trust in you. Well, it's not those who know the verbal name. It's those who know who you are trust in you. And so protect us by who you are, the power of who you are. So who is God? He is holy. He is love. He is good. That's the power of his name. He is those things. So it reminds me of Philippians 1.6. Those, he will complete a work, a good work, and those who he has it. I'm trying to remember Philippians 1.6. 
He who began a good work will complete it until, yeah, until the day of, I forget the verse now. That's it. Yeah, I got to sing it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so he who began the work will be faithful to complete it. And so protecting in his name is protecting us in the character who he is. In other words, keep us in your character, God. Keep us living the life that you now have for us to live that is represented in your name. You know, it's real easy for us to get into a religious mindset where we we think Christianity is about going to church, is about reading your Bible, about doing certain things, when really it's about the character of God becoming our character. And so to be kept in his name means to be, am I becoming like him? Can I stay like him? Because it's not enough to do the things. We need to be the people. Kind of like we talked about Sunday. It's not so much what you do, it's who you're becoming. And so protect us by the power of your name. It means the character that you gave. And that name was also given to Jesus that they might be one as we are one. And again, Jesus is bringing us into a new identity. An identity that is connected to him. I mean, Christianity, when it began, it was a non-religious group. People would go up to you and they'd say, hey, you know, um, where do you go to temple? Well, I don't. You don't go to temple. Where where do you worship? Well, I, I don't have a place of worship. Well, what sacrifices do you make? Well, I don't make sacrifices any longer. What? You don't offer sacrifices to God? No? You you don't have a place you go to to worship? Well, then you're not a religious person. You you don't have a faith. Because now these, these followers of Christ are themselves the temple of God. These followers of Christ now carry in themselves, the sacrifice that God made on their behalf. These followers of Jesus are now supposed to be living examples of the living God. And so when the people of that time would see them, they were hard-pressed to define them. Yeah, they don't worship at a temple. They don't go to any specific. Sometimes they meet in houses. Sometimes they meet out different places. They don't have a place of worship. They don't offer sacrifices Everybody offered sacrifices. They don't. They stopped doing the sacrifices. Who are these people? Why? Because now they represent God. God is in them and and they are in God. And there is this connection now with them and with God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. They are in me and I am in you. And they're in us. They now represent You, because you gave them to me and I showed them who you were. That makes sense? Okay. I thought it was cool when I was putting it together. Um, Verse 13, it says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I love that. The full measure of my joy in them. And just think about how do we have the full measure of Christ's joy in us? And it's by recognizing 
what he has done for us. I have given, verse 14, given them your word, and your word has, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now, up above, he had said also in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. There has been the knowledge, or this word, the world, used a few times here in verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. And so, once again, we should talk about what, what does he mean by the world? The world, because didn't God so love the world? So why is he praying for them, but not for the world? But the world has more than just one meaning, and it has to do kind of with how society lives without God. In other words, society without God's governing over them would be considered the world. The the way uh, people live without a knowledge of God would be his mind for the world. And so... Because he goes on later and he prays for those who would believe on their report. So it's not like he's talking about people. He's talking about a condition, a a sense that doesn't acknowledge who God is. And that's what he means by the world. And and so he's saying, I'm going to go to you, give them the joy. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, verse 15, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify, which means to set them apart. Sanctify them by the truth. And it's not just set them apart for a task, but it also has to do with give them what is needed to complete the task. Set them apart in how they think, in their character, in their heart condition. The things that are necessary to complete them Complete the task. So God set them apart in this character so that they can fulfill the things that are set before them. And I think it's interesting that Jesus prays that we would not be taken out of the world. It seems to be paramount that we are here. And I don't know about you, but every now and then I'd get in this mind, I'd just like to leave now. Right? Oh God, just to, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I want to, but Jesus says, no, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Yeah, they're not a part of this system that doesn't acknowledge you. And so really, they need to be in the world so that they can be an example, but keep them from the evil one, which would have to do with what the world represents. The evil one, and to, If I'm going to leave them in this world where there is evil present, then I want you to set them apart, set their hearts apart, set their minds apart, help their character to be something that can complete the task that I want them to do. Set them apart by the truth of who he is. The word, your word is truth. And that means what you say, what you have spoken, that is truth, which would incorporate, of course, the scriptures, and it would also incorporate the gospel itself, the message of Jesus. In verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. As you sent me, I have sent them. How did God send Jesus? He loved the world that he sent his son to be 
sacrifice to be an example of God to those all these things that Jesus has just prayed. Well, Jesus is sending us in the same way. So we are to continue the ministry of Christ. That is a little terrifying, truthfully. That's a little bit overwhelming to think about what Jesus is saying here. I I want them to do what you sent me here to do. And, And I think we have settled for much less. We want a lot less and we're happy with a lot less than what Jesus actually wants for us to do. Well, you know, I just want to have a comfortable life, want to raise nice kids, I want to have a decent job, I I just want to go on with my life, but I don't want to think of my life as being on task and on mission like Jesus, because that's a lot. And Jesus is telling us through his prayer that They are set apart from this world, from the evil one. Set them apart with the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, verse 19, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus says, I have set my life apart completely so that they too could be set apart completely. Jesus went to the cross what am I supposed to do I'm supposed to give my life completely well I don't have a cross to go to I hope you know what what, what is it supposed to be well it's a life of recognition it's a life of servitude to the living God which isn't a bad thing it's where life is that's what he said, that you, you might give them eternal life in your name. This life belongs to you, and, and we need to recognize that servitude to God is servitude to life, that it is a calling to life. And, and this is where we have problems, because to our mindset, servitude to God, for many people, means servitude to a church. And there ain't any church I want to be in servitude to. I don't want to be there for any man. I'm not here to be in servitude to any person. I want to be in servitude to God, but not to these people, because I don't trust people. I don't know about you guys, but I don't. But Jesus is asking us to set our lives apart just like he did. In fact, the reason he set his life apart was so that we could too. And so Jesus is now our example of how we're to live and what we're to do. You know, one of the things that stood out to me when I went to La Paz back in January was this group of people. Again, it was just a handful of people who put on this whole conference and they did incredible things as far as the organization, you know, setting up the lunches, um, doing some music and helping with the music. They were just so gifted. And then we came in there and did some teaching. And I just thought these 
Few people have the potential to do so much. And that's why I wanted to go back, is I wanted to invest in these people and help them to see that you are just like Jesus. And Jesus wants you to do what he did. And what I think happens is these people think, well, we need a pastor to come and to teach us and to show us and to lead us. And I feel like, no, you have the spirit and God is raising you up to be the leaders, the pastors. And so instead of coming down and starting another church, there is the church right there. And I remember a few of them specifically, like, this guy has what it takes to really be someone profound for the work of God. But I don't, didn't feel like he understood that. And so what I wanted to do in going down there, and still hope to go down there, is to go and ignite that within them and saying, you got what it takes, buddy. Jesus is your example And now you follow him and go for it. Don't wait for anybody. Don't wait for the church's permission. Yeah, if you're in an organization, you have to work within that. But if you feel like God is wanting you to do more and that organization is saying, no, don't, don't worry about the organization. Go do what God wants you to do. And I feel like if people would get hold of that, it would would change the world. What if every person saw themselves as a church planter? Think about that. Instead of, well, no, I'm not led to go, yes, you are. Jesus is your example. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to go start a nonprofit and all these things, but what if you took it upon yourself, you know, I'm here to start a church. I'm going to get some people and I'm going to pour into them. And then, yeah, we're going to go meet on Wednesdays here and we'll go meet on Sundays there. But I am supposed to be a church planter. What if everyone thought that way? You see, but we want, no, that's your job. I'm a church goer. I'm not a church planter. I'm a church goer. And people are satisfied with being people who go instead of being being people who do. And we need to change that. Jesus is talking to each one of us, and he says, I set myself apart so that they Two can be truly set apart, sanctified, have God's character, have God's heart, have God's mind. Verse 20, let's finish this up. My prayer is not for them alone. And so we've seen a progression in this prayer. First, he's kind of praying himself for himself, going, glorify me as he goes to the cross. And it also talks about the glory that I'm going to be with you, the resurrection. And then he's praying for the disciples. And now he's going on and he's praying for those who are in the future. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so this one is really difficult. Does anyone else have a problem with being one with people? I have a problem with that. But Jesus wants that, that we might be one. And the 
the cause for this unity has been injured, I believe, and has been hindered because people love their own church organizations. We love our own denominations. We love our own creeds and thoughts, our own rituals, our own way of doing things more than we love each other. And I have real problems with some people in churches, but you know what? I still need to love them. Even though I don't like the way they do some things. And I still need to care about them. And what's convicting to me is that it is because of us in unity that people believe that Jesus has come. It says at the end of verse 1, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So if we're not in unity, the world will have a hard time seeing Jesus. And boy, ain't that the truth. Talks about, oh man, churches, they don't, you know, this church is against this church, and this church is against this church. And the cause of Christ has become so absent, and the love for one another is so secondary compared to doctrine, ritual, and all these other things. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to care about doctrine and all these things, but love is supposed to be paramount above all these things. He goes on in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. There it is again. What was Christ's glory? What was the cross? It was his obedience to God. Jesus said, those who have seen me have seen the Father. People are to see Christ in us. That's what he's talking about. The glory that he gives us is our ability to represent him. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What do you guys think when you say, when Jesus says that they might be in us like you are in me? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought in complete unity. Does anyone get a little nervous Hearing that, that I'm one with God, doesn't that kind of freak you out? But there's something that we need to embrace about that. It's not that we become God. He's not saying that. But we become God's messengers. We become the living example of who God is. We become the heart and character of who God is. The unity he's speaking about is about our character. We don't have the nature of God, except given through Christ, but we are not God. You're not omnipotent. You're not omnipresent. But you are to have the character of Christ, which is love. And so we are supposed to have that character in us. And there's no way around this. He's saying you're supposed to be in me, and I'm in the Father, and the Father's in you. And this is all together. It sounds like a song back in the 60s. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's Christ's preeminence, his, his existence. 
before all creation, Colossians tells us. Righteous Father, verse 25, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That the love God has for Jesus would be in them. That's pretty intimate. What God is calling us to is very personal. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to embrace because of our own shame, because of our own awareness of our condition. But we need to have more confidence in what Jesus has done for us than in our knowledge of ourselves, that makes sense. We need to trust the work of Jesus on our behalf, that it was sufficient, it was enough, it was complete, that it was done. And so now we can have confidence coming before God, knowing that he looks at us the way he looks at Jesus. Wow. How would that change your prayer life? How would that change the way you act? What would happen in those times when you are wanting to fall into temptation or lash out in anger? If you thought, well, God is looking at me the way he looks at Jesus. God is looking at me to be Jesus in this situation. If we could remember that and not get so caught up into the situation in this evil world. So God, keep us from this evil world and those things and that character that so easily comes into that. Okay, come on, a couple of minutes. Give me some thoughts, some questions. You guys didn't ask many questions, I'm telling you. I still got a bunch more. Well, Jesus definitely revealed who God was. I mean, it's kind of, if he didn't exist, yeah, that'd be, I don't know what to think about if he didn't come. Except that God did reveal himself before Christ. I'm sure he would reveal himself. But Christ is how he revealed himself most completely. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if it wasn't those people who, and more than just Jesus, it was those disciples, those who believe on his name. You know what blows my mind away is how much confidence Jesus had in these disciples. I, they didn't look like that much to me. You know, they're arguing, they're complaining, they run away when he's taken in, and he has complete confidence that they're going to change the world. And I think about how little confidence I have in people sometimes. Like, oh no, don't leave them in charge. If they don't, nothing will get done, Right? But Jesus puts all this trust in them that they're going to continue this work. I mean, one of the things that just stands out about this whole chapter is confidence in Jesus. He just has confidence. God, you're going to do this. Be in them. They're going to bring out this change. They're going to represent me just like I did you. And just this confidence in these 11 just... Yeah, I don't know. Peter... Yeah, Peter, you'll deny me three times, you know, I mean, 
And again, it was on that truth that Peter proclaimed, but it, you know, all of them, gosh. I mean, we don't hear about Bartholomew much, you know. What did he ever do? But he's one of them, you know. So, any other thoughts or questions? And it really is a, a recognition of what Jesus has done. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not like, well, I'm not good enough. Well, you never were good enough. But you have now the right, because of what Jesus did, to come to him. And then allow that relationship to be what changes you. You know, not your ability to be good enough. And and that's the difficult thing, because for there to be a relationship, there has to be involvement, and there has to be time. You know, and that's where I think we fail. Is we We want to just do the things to make it happen and God wants us to make it happen yeah Katie yeah (laughs) Um, well again he has given us the glory that God has given to him we talked about the glory that God gave to Jesus it was obedience to the cross that's what brought glory to God and our obedience to God, in spite of whatever else, it's a sacrificial surrender. That's what Jesus has given to us, that ability to live for God and not just to live for ourselves. Um, That would be part of the glory. Again, Jesus said that he who has seen me has seen the Father. That is to be our identity. He who sees us is supposed to see Jesus And so that's the glory that now Jesus is giving us. Just as God gave Jesus this mandate to believe and to do, then we have the mandate from Jesus to also carry that on. And so that's kind of what I take it to mean. The glory that God gave Jesus was the task, and now Jesus is handing the torch to us and say, okay, now you take it from here. And so reveal God to the world. Here's the torch, just like I did. You see, I think we think of glory sometimes as something different. We think of glory as, ooh, it's great. You know, the glory of the Lord. You know, and it's like, oh, it's a great feeling. But glory, again, is more than just, you know, a feeling. The glory of God is the worth of God, the value. And so it's actually can be used in terms of weighing something. And so now the glory, the weight that God gave to Jesus, Jesus is giving us that weight and responsibility and value to carry on. And so, again, it depends on how we see the word glory, I think, because in my mind, you know, especially in a worship area, oh, the glory of the Lord was there. And you think, oh, it's spectacular. It felt wonderful. And so that's our idea of glory. But I think this is a lot deeper than that and a lot more of substance because that's really what it's kind of doing. It's talking about weight and substance and value. Yep. And he raises up people for us too. Put us in. <laughs> Nick, you're going to say something. Oh. Any other thoughts? Well, let's pray. I don't know if there's any cake left, but there's some cookies. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, there is indeed so much in this chapter. We barely touched it. Um, But 
it's a lot for us to mull over, to think about, a lot for us to embrace, Lord, as you have given this to us for a reason. You have told us that we are to be in you for a reason, that you are going to glorify us as the Father has glorified you. You've told us that for a reason, and you want us to step into this, Father. You want us to take hold of why you were set apart and what you set up, were set apart for and help us to understand that we find our own identity not when we live for ourselves, but when we live for you, that when we give our lives to you and to your purposes, that it's then we actually find life. And Father, help us to break out of the stereotypes of what that means. Lord, you have not called us to join monasteries or to go full-time in ministry. You have called us to represent you where we are, where we live, where we work, the people we engage in, our family, our workmates, our friends. Lord, that is our mission field. That is where we have the opportunity to glorify you. That is where you want to glorify us. And help us to recognize that, Lord, that we would be effective with who you've called us to be and where you have us to be today. Lord, may we not worry about where we will be. May we honor you right where we are right now. And we thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to look at your word, to be challenged by it, to be haunted by it, to struggle with it and want to know its meanings. And Father, we will struggle with this, these passages even more in the future. It's so deep that we will never fully attain the knowledge. But God, it's a, a journey that we desire. And so bless our time as we continue to Look into these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.